Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. <laughs> Hi, guys, and welcome back to Unfollowing Mum. Today, I have a really exciting guest that I am so pleased to be speaking to. I am going to be introducing this lady who's going to chat to us about her experience with estrangement. I'd mentioned before when I did the intro to this podcast that sometimes I will speak to specialists and therapists, and sometimes I will speak to people who have lived experience of estrangement because I think having a mixture is really important for people to know that they are not alone in these experiences and that there's absolutely nothing wrong with talking about and sharing your lived experience within community. So without further ado, I am super excited to speak to Helen Rabbit. Hi, how are you? Hello, good morning. I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for being on the podcast and for speaking to me. Can you give listeners an idea of who you are, what you do, and what your experience has been? It's a big ask, isn't it? It's a lot. There's a long old story there. So I am Helen Rabbit. Um, I teach part-time, so I'm a teacher. Um, I teach at a school in Leeds, and I also do social media management for um, a fabric company, which is kind of part of my love as well as um is sewing and making quilts and generally being very creative um I have two children I'm married um my children are five and six and we live in Leeds and live a fairly kind of straightforward life which um is really lovely um because there is enough drama has happened and um I think that's the big thing about estrangement is that you have a you have a situation where you have loads and loads of stuff coming at you and then you actually have a little moment of clarity and think actually do you know what I'm I'm calling a halt to this yeah and then there is a very strange period afterwards Mm. I became estranged from my mum initially at the beginning I think it was kind of like mid 2020 same time as me then I mean, of all the times, yeah, it, it was um, 
I suppose, and maybe it was indicative of the time. Mm. My mum, and I don't really like you calling her that, but I don't want to call her by her name. Do you know what yeah. I mean? For this, I do generally when I'm communicating with kind of social workers and that kind of thing, mm. because I can't actually bring to give her that title, which I think is another interesting point. Yeah, that is actually. And it's something that I've come across before. Somebody referred to their their mum, um, and I see quite a lot with people refer to dads as like um, my sperm donor. Mm. And I see that quite a lot. And then I'd re- seen somebody refer to their mum as, as the incubator. And it created a bit of a kickback <laughs> on TikTok. But I, I got it. I really yeah. did get it because it was yeah. almost like I... I can't bring myself to think of her in that role yeah. because that role's yeah. an important role. That role's something that matters. Yeah. And it's really hurtful when you've had somebody who is meant to have fulfilled that role. And, and when you're fulfilling that role. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it changes when you become a parent yourself as well. You start yeah. to look even further and think, well, hang on a minute. I'm doing this now. Yeah. I'm do- what the hell were you doing? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, so I completely relate to that. I do. I completely yeah. relate to that. And I think just making that difference, because there are so many other people in my life who have been mum a mum to me than she ever was. Yeah. Um. So it it always smarts a little. So in the kind of we became estranged in twenty twenty, and there was kind of um, a point where it all came to a head, which was that she's always had um issues with alcohol and drinking and has been in and out of hospital over various um, times. You know, she's been detoxed from alcohol maybe eight or nine times Mm. in hospital. And that has had just the most incredible wearing effect on everybody in that you just, you know, you accept that it's an illness and you want her to get better from that. However, She's just as bad when she's not drinking. Mm. So it's not the alcohol that's the issue. Yeah. Um, she was just as um, narcissistic and kind of toxic when she wasn't drinking as when she was. Mm. And that led to a point where kind of March 2020, when everybody was shutting their doors, um, she accused us of um, stealing from her. And so at the beginning of lockdown, all of our bank accounts were locked. Um, Two small children, a pandemic and no access to any money. So we were investigated by the police. We were um, investigated by like the, I can't remember what they're called, but like the fraud team that looks at people who kind of take money from elderly people. And everything was above board and fine we hadn't we hadn't stolen from them which we knew anyway but in that situation it was incredibly stressful and things that kind of led up to that and 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 since since stopping being in touch with her what I've realized is you cannot deal with trauma if you're still in it yeah you're not you can't because you're still fending it off and you're still trying to deal with it and I had to stop everything to be able to start to deal with it and that has probably been the hardest thing that I've had to deal with you know hardest thing about it I've had to deal with because as a kid living in that toxic environment where 
God, I mean, she used to take me to the doctors to get me weighed. She would restrict food. She would encourage me to eat alone in my bedroom, away from her and my dad. She was incredibly controlling and just like vitriolic with the comments that she would make about what kind of person I was, what kind of person other relatives were. Mm. Um, And got to a point where I just thought, actually, do you know what? I am not exposing my kids to this. Yeah. And like my, the con- my conception story of them getting pregnant with me is very, very rocky. They had, you know, numerous miscarriages. I don't know if mum was drinking at the time. I had a really tough time, didn't speak to each other for the entire time that mum was pregnant. I came into the world and was not what I think they expected. And right. and living with being told, you know, you've changed your dad and I's relationship, those kind mm. of little phrases that you remember yeah. over time that you wouldn't even dream of saying. And thank God you think it's weird. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Thank God you, you think, actually, you know, I would never say that. Yeah, it's funny because, and I uh, this is purely my own theory, I've not come across any research done into it specifically, but I think a lot of the older generation that are sort of what you class as boomers or the silent generation, it wasn't socially acceptable to not have kids unless you physically couldn't have kids. Yeah. Everybody, the whole goal of life was go finish school at 15, yeah. get a job, get married, have the white picket fence and two kids. Or, yeah. you know, maybe you can get away with one, but there'll be a bit of yeah. stigma around that. And that's, yeah. I mean, that's a whole other podcast because there is still stigma around that. But And I'm an only child. Yeah, I am. And funnily enough, my parents had triplets before me that passed away. And I think that deeply impacted both of them. Yeah. Deeply, deeply impacted both of them as, as a, you know, it would. Of course yeah. it would. But I yeah. think I was so desperately wanted and oh then when God. I came along, yeah, it was like uh, yeah. very similar to what you, you've you just described there. Um, and my mum used to say similar to me. I mean, my parents divorced when I was nearly four. And I used to get lots of, well, having a child does change your relationship. And I remember asking her once, does that mean I'm the reason you got divorced? And she'd said, no, of course not. That's that, that was because your dad couldn't keep it in his pants kind of thing, which, I mean, mm. tr- true. But there was a lot more to it, I think, than yeah. just that. And that was an awful yeah. thing for a three, four-year-old to hear. Yeah. And I drew my own conclusions, as children always do. But I do genuinely think that that generation, because it wasn't socially acceptable not to have children, many of them didn't actually want to. Maybe they wouldn't yeah. want it. You know how we hear that yeah. the, I remember being in college and doing business studies and it was referred to as the jet ski versus child argument. Yeah. Where does your finance go? Yeah. What is your life goal? Are you going to be wealthy and not have kids? Or are you going to have kids and then they're going to cost you a lot of money? Whereas yeah. like societally, the, there is usually one <clears throat> throughout each generation which has been preferred or considered the norm. And for yeah. our parents' generation, it was the norm to have children. And then these kids come along and it's like, I didn't actually want this. And you hear it yeah. so much in the language that's used of I've sacrificed for my child. Yeah. Like anybody out there who's heard that one will relate knowing that, you know, I've sacrificed everything for you. I've given up everything for you. Oh my God. Yeah. I gave up a really good career to have you. Yeah, exactly. And you look and you think, well, fuck me. Like 
I don't look at my kids. I mean, yes, I've been incredibly fortunate, but I deliberately set out to build what I have built around my children so that I could be mm. there for them more. I could have done anything mm. that I wanted to do, but wanted to forge that career around them because all I ever mm. wanted really growing up was to have kids. Yeah. To be with my kids. And I yeah. think unless you were a hundred percent wanting to have children and wanting to be a mother or a father or, or whatever, and that was your goal, you've got a generation of people who thought they wanted kids and then actually really didn't yeah and you were very wanted is another kind mm-hmm. of phrase that she would toss around mm-hmm. and I think I, and I think she found it very difficult when I got pregnant she because it happened relatively easily there wasn't you know it was fine we got pregnant we had a baby we're very very lucky in that yeah respect and um and then with my second we we thought that I was having a miscarriage and I was at home and Chris came home from work and I think I'd been I think I'd been on the phone to my dad or something and I'd said he said do you want us to come over and I was like I really really don't want you to come over please don't come over just leave us we've got a scan tomorrow let's see what happens tomorrow and I mean, I was sat on the sofa bleeding, you know, it's, yeah. it, it was just visceral. And they turned up at the doorstep mm. and I was just like, ah. Oh. And my mum walked in and I remember Chris talking to her and saying, look, she really doesn't want to see anybody. We'll go in for the scan. First thing tomorrow morning, we'll be in touch. And she said, yeah, but what about my miscarriages? Oh. Like, oh. What? Yeah. I'm sorry. What about yours? Okay, what about yours? Right. And and I remember sitting on the sofa here, overhearing this conversation going on and thinking, I'm going to have to get up and ask them to leave. So I got up and I asked them to leave. And I and I said, you, you need to go home now. Yeah. And my dad was like, why, why do we need to? Go? Well, I told you not to come mm. because of this, because of this reason. And I think she found it really, really hard to accept. And then everything was fine. We went, the scan was fine. It was, you know, he was absolutely fine. Um, and she just could not get her head around it. Did you feel like there was that resentment there that everything had been fine for you, but not I think so, yeah. 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 Which is really sad in and of itself. But it's that it's very classic of that kind of enmeshed parent who can't see that you are a completely different person to them yeah who can't accept that not everything is about them and that I mean like you say it wasn't about her in that moment and I think a normal reaction for anyone would be to be are you okay and perhaps to respect to respect that boundary that you'd set and said please don't come and I can see you know there might be people listening thinking well if my child was in that that agony I would ignore them and I would go because I'd want to be there for them and I understand that reaction Mm. I do understand that reaction but there was a reason that you asked her not to go because you knew she wouldn't be there for you you knew that she'd make it about her and her experiences And that's just so common when dealing with that that sort of toxic parent, that narcissistic parent that can't differentiate between your experience and what you're going mm. through, their experience, and then somehow has to kind of one up. You, but my yeah. experience was worse. It was so much worse. <laughs> and you know, you're just a bit like, but you're not living that right now. And yeah, I need you that's to not be now. Here. Yeah. It's really difficult. I mean, if I'd said I don't want you to come and she had 
come and she'd said, look, I just want to be here. Can I, let me just refill the dishwasher. Yeah. Let me do that. And I'll make you a cup of tea. And then I promise you I'm going to go. And I love you very much. And give me a ring as soon as you know tomorrow. Yeah. That's a different way of handling it, isn't it? It is. And again, uh, you know, it, it might be kind of ignoring that boundary of saying, yeah. please don't come. And it might not be necessarily the ideal thing, but it would be done out of love and out of a desire to make sure that you were okay. And I think that's yeah. when it's a very different scenario. But it's it's not done like that when it's a parent no. who's who's narcissistic or who's toxic or even emotionally immature who cannot accept that this situation, whilst it might be their baby that's going mm. through it, it's not them that's going mm. through it. And that's a completely different thing. Yeah. So yeah. everything was fine with baby. Which yeah, is absolutely fine. Um, <laughs> gave birth to him at 37 weeks and he was nine pounds six. Hmm. And Are you um, okay? Kind of, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine now. Yeah, she came to see him in the hospital and couldn't pick him up because she'd been drinking. And <sighs> it kind of all started, I think, probably with that was kind of a big like red flag in my head you make the decision that you're going to stop you're going to stop contacting contacting them so what happened was she ended up being detoxed from alcohol and the what would happen was she would have she would be able to make decisions for herself when she was sober and in the hospital and then she would get discharged from hospital go home and drink and then she would end up back in hospital because she would hurt herself and then they detox yeah. her and assess her as being fine having mental capacity and they would keep ringing me and I would be the person that would get in touch they would get in touch with and I would go to the hospital and I remember once going to the hospital and it was like six weeks it was, she was on like a six weeks rolling cycle of ending up mm. in hospital and this very very lovely nurse at Harrogate Hospital saying to me, um, "Do you think you could bring your mum some clothes in, maybe some, you know, just some underwear or something? Because she really does just have what she's come in in, which is a nighty, mm. and she's been in for two weeks." And I remember saying, "No, I, I, I won't be going and getting her personal belongings from her house because yeah. I've done that before, and she's rung the police." And this nurse just being like, "Wow." Okay. And I said, if I go and I buy her some clothes, then you need to know that she will just discharge herself and she'll leave. And her response was kind of like, um, yeah, but she's your mum. <sighs> yeah, I'm sure yes, groans. Yeah, I'm sure the groans of recognition will be a plenty hearing that phrase because it's used to excuse yeah. so much Horrendous. damaging behaviour. Yeah. And, you know, if you'd have been called because, say, an Mm ex-partner had been in that state and they'd have said, look, thank you for bringing them in. Is there any way you can get clothes? And you'd have said, I can't go to his house or her house because they'll they'll call the police and Mm -hmm. I can't do that. And if I buy clothes, they'll just discharge themselves and go off with them because that's what they've done in the past. You would be like why are you even here don't yeah you yeah, need to home. protect yourself from that who else yeah. can we call do you have any contacts yeah. you would never turn around and say yeah, but it's it's your ex-partner it's your, your responsibility <laughs> it's, it's a man that you met on the bus yeah. it's a man that you met on the bus 
So? It sounds ridiculous to say it when you put it in the context of any other relationship. And yet mm. when it comes to parents and I found the more people that I speak to, because I had a very toxic relationship with both parents, but the more people that I speak to, especially about toxic relationships with mums, seems to be so much more common when it's your mother, the uh, societal acceptance of the deadbeat dad. Yeah. or the neglectful dad which is horrendous it is but that kind of comes across a bit more like oh yeah well so dads are rubbish sometimes aren't they mm, yeah dads are also amazing sometimes yeah. and mums are rubbish sometimes but it seems to be so much more that we can go mm, yeah okay dad might have been a bit of a shit but it's your mum and it it really it's such a frustrating dismissal of everything else that that relationship yeah. and that trauma that that relationship can cause because it might and well it undervalues yeah. those good relationships that you have absolutely because I mean, why would you why would you stick around for it I, I mean you just wouldn't and you shouldn't and I'm not saying that it's easier on the other side of it but it's definitely karma like yeah. I absolutely hate Mother's Day Mm. um like mother's day is just horrendous mother's day birthdays christmas mm. um any time where there may be an and, and actually that's probably probably something in the past week or so i can anticipate that there will be a birthday card sent through mm. probably not for me actually she will send a christmas card mm. she won't send a birthday card i kind of now have to have a policy for what i'm going to do with those things when they turn up and sometimes I open them. Mm. And when I open them, I look at her handwriting and I see, is she, does she have capacity? Is she drinking? Because I can tell that from what I can see. And unfortunately, the post is the only thing that you cannot really stop without yeah. moving house. You know, you can, I would, I made it so on my phone, her number would always go to voicemail, but then she would leave a voicemail and it would just be abusive. So then I turned my voicemail off totally so that wow. she cannot leave a voicemail and then blocked her number because I just thought I can't have that little tiny window of contact and at the weekend um I was in the house on my own and a nurse rang up and said hiya um I'm just going around to your mum's house and can't find it can, can you tell me where it is I was like mm, well the last time I did this the police ended up getting involved but you know I, I understand I can direct you to the house. So directed her kind of to the house because the house is quite hard to find. And I said, you mustn't, please don't tell my mum that you've spoken to me. I'm just helping you out as you would another yeah. person in the street. Don't tell, don't say anything to it anyway. So she rang back two minutes later. I'm knocking on the door, but there doesn't seem to be any answer. Um, is that normal for your mum? Will she be okay? Could you think you could come round? I was like... No, no, I won't be coming around. And also, how have you got my number? And of course, because I'm an only child and I'm still her next of kin, my telephone number is just everywhere all over her paperwork because in an ordinary situation, you want people to be able to get in touch with the next of kin. You don't want to be yes. a nurse on the doorstep and be unable to. And I understand that. But that this week has properly floored me. Just, and I don't really know why I think it's because you build yourself a little bubble when you're estranged from somebody and you do everything that you can to make sure that there is no contact so like her social worker knows only to get in touch with me when she's dead 
the home that my dad is in know only to get in touch with me when he's dead or she's dead. Everybody that I possibly can has knows where they're at with it, apart from NHS, yeah. who just find my number and, and ring. And yeah. those little chinks in the armour are really, really important. And they just floor me now because yeah. it makes me real and go back to thinking all the awful things that I have spent a long time in therapy trying to get to the bottom of they yeah. just spring back up again because it's so ingrained mm -hmm. that poisonous relationship is absolutely ingrained in everything every fiber of your body it is it's completely it's so if for anybody who hasn't heard the term CPTSD it's complex mm -hmm. post-traumatic stress disorder and that is pretty much what you're describing there mm -hmm. where it's it's that you have those flashbacks you have those memories you have those written into the very fiber of your being yeah actually it's, it's a, a molecular yes. level and I and I know that because I know that it was happening when I was when she was pregnant with me mm. it's weird it, isn't it's it there yeah all the time and it influences too much of everything else yeah Absolutely. And it's, as you said before, about not being able to heal that trauma whilst you're still in that trauma. Yeah. It's so true. It's so true because when you are constantly bombarded, so anybody who kind of wants to look into CPTSD, I would recommend speaking to a therapist or a professional as always. But that is something that is so common when you've lived with a toxic parent. Um, and it's not not always the case at all, but it's something that I started to research and started to look into and started to try and understand because of that very, like you say, that molecular level written into the very fabric of who I am because you stay in this situation. And with, with PTSD, it's kind of an event that might be traumatizing with mm. CPTSD. It's an extended period of time yeah. of trauma and of yeah. toxic behavior and of <clears throat> triggering damaging stuff that writes itself into the fabric of who you are. And it's so common when you've had a traumatic childhood over an extended period of time with a toxic parent. And it does, like you say, those moments of contact, those little snippets where you haven't just managed to block, where you haven't managed to write them out of your life entirely it brings everything up again yeah. I know mum yeah. used to um she's obviously our estrangement was in um June 2020 and that sort of first November and January where it was Toby's mine and Edith's birthdays we got nothing nada and then Reuben's birthday came up and she sent him a birthday card and I remember being like <gasps> because I was so shocked because I thought, right, well, she's not done it for the other two. Surely she wouldn't be cruel enough to do it to Reuben. But she really zoned oh, in God. on my eldest. Yeah. So then the following birthdays, November, Toby got a card. Edith got a card in January and I got a card. And I remember, I remember it clear as anything. Me and Adam were arguing. <laughs> we were going through a really rough patch anyway. And we were arguing. And he was just about to storm through the door and this letter dropped through. And I just remember his face because it just changed it because he knew what that what impact that would have <clears throat> and he didn't want to give it to me and it was in a pink envelope and I knew as soon as I saw it and we we get you know I don't I'm 34 now so I don't get many birthday cards I'm not my kids get like a, an array of birthday cards that are, but anybody who would send me a birthday card either 
will just send me a text message or yeah. people who are perhaps older and would have done they've passed away now so yeah I don't get much by way of birthday cards and I knew as soon as I saw the flash of pink I was like I know who that's from I just knew it was like like you say on that molecular level I could sense it and he sort of picked it up and held it and looked at me and you could see it going through his mind of I'm really pissed off with her she yeah. is absolutely raging at me yeah and I can't I don't want to give it to her but she's seen yeah. it now and if I don't give it to her that's going to be a problem and if I yeah. do give it to her that's going to be a problem like yeah. how do I navigate this when I'm fuming and he yeah. just sort of put it on the table and then you know when you're at an impasse where you know you're really irritated with each other but something else has happened that you're just like I'm gonna have to deal with this before we deal with that <laughs> and while you were having that argument with him that will have been influenced 100%. by her mm. because it was you that was having the argument and then she mm. just intrudes yeah 100%. and just lands on the doorstep yeah oh 100% funnily enough when whenever we argue and it, it's interesting that you say it will be influenced by that because I if Adam loses his temper he tends to raise his voice and shouting for me is deeply triggering yeah me and too. I will either I well I will do one of two things my brain and I can feel I can feel it yeah. happening disassociates yeah. yeah and it's almost like a str- slow trickle where I'm starting hear. to be, yeah can't, can't hear, hear him properly and I can't remember what the word he said before he yeah. just said the word and I'll repeat yeah. something back to him that he's just said to me and he's like I didn't say that yeah. and then he gets more frustrated yeah but I can't hold the thought I would need to sit and record it and go over it again so yeah. that I could be like, yeah, okay, this yeah. is where this problem happened. Because as soon as his voice starts to raise, yeah. my heart starts to go, my yeah. hands get sweaty. And- the adrenaline kicks yeah. in and I shut down. Yeah. And I and I become eight years old and being told off. Yes, yes. And my mum always used to say, oh, I, I know I've, I shouted a lot when you were younger. I didn't hit you very often. But I shouted a lot. And I'm, I've got to be honest and say, and I said this to somebody once, they were really shocked. I would have taken the time oh. she grabbed me by the throat in Asda. I would have taken the time she hit me with a slipper or the time she chased me up the stairs screaming at me and then laughed at the bottom because I was so frightened I hid in the bathroom. I would have taken all those times over one shouting at. Yeah over one because it has impacted me so much as an adult if a stranger were to shout at me I'm not so bad but it's someone that I have a close relationship with yeah they have a a connection yeah I can't bear shouting in that environment in that manner and it's it's heavily influenced even down to how you communicate with your partner Mm. like even down to because I can be quite um independent I don't like asking for help and Mm. it's a bit of a running joke now because if I want to do something even if I know it's going to be difficult and Adam could probably do it in a second I'll Mm. just try and do it myself rather than ask him and he's always like why didn't you wait for me to get all that stuff down for the loft or why didn't you do this and I'm like because I didn't want to put you out I didn't want to ask bingo because I didn't want to put you out I didn't want to ask and also I don't want to be reliant on you because that gives you too much power over me take up take up any space yes exactly and somebody had mentioned to me the other week about (laughs) space and how people of our generation don't like to take up space Mm -hmm. because we were raised by people who told us not to who told Mm -hmm. us that we needed to be kids should be seen not heard Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. all of those things that we 
as parents now don't say to our children wouldn't say to our children I want you to be heard I want you to have a voice but then it was almost considered rude to have a voice yeah I struggle with silence as well because what Mm. would happen is that as a family we would connect by there being an argument Mm -hmm. and then there would be like three weeks Mm. of silence silent treatment it's a big one makes my stomach churn yeah isn't it weird how these things have this and it's it's a it's a physical reaction that you yeah. have to them it's yeah. so funny that you said that because for me it's shouting and silent treatment yeah and silent treatment or sulking I yeah. go into that fawn response yeah where I'm trying to sort of say even though I'm not the one in the wrong yeah I'm trying to sort of say is everything okay how can I fix it how can I make it better and have I, have I done to, something wrong yeah and I, you know sometimes Adam will just be like I'm not we've got better at communicating again since I've cut ties with my mother and since everything has been upended in our relationship we've in we've looked at those things and got better at communicating and saying okay I'm not giving you silent treatment I just need a bit of time to I'm going to come back yeah and I'm oh, yeah and I'm gonna come back and I'm not you know when I, it sounds silly if you've not lived the experience it sounds so silly but I completely relate to that of that I just need to take a breather I'm not you know I'm not giving you silent treatment this isn't going to drag out for days and days or weeks and weeks I'm just processing and yeah. that normal bit where after an argument or even after a disagreement where you take a pause and you sort of say okay I'm I'm moody as hell because this has irritated me and we're going to work through it because we've both said our pieces now we're going to sit with it for a bit and then either come back and apologize to each other for if we misspoke or we're just going to let it fizzle yeah it doesn't need to be a resolution to every disagreement that you have but we've just we've stated our pieces we're good even that normal little bit where you have that pause can send me like oh my god what's going on and I know through the pandemic Adam and I especially after I'd asked my mum to leave things were were awful and I we argued a lot and it's impacted Toby our middle child Mm -hmm. massively because he now even if we're kind of having like a little jokey disagreement be like you're not arguing are you and Mm -hmm. I hate that that's happened because that was a cycle that I couldn't get there and stop in time and you know you've got to cut yourself a bit of slack for that and look and say hey that's where I've gone wrong how can I repair that damage how can I Mm. help him to see that that's happens sometimes in relationships and that's okay that everything is okay but it goes back to that sort of poking the finger of blame that's not what this is about. That's not what estrangement yeah. is about. It's about, are you able to take accountability for your actions? And if not, then I need to protect myself and set those boundaries, which is exactly yeah. what estrangement is. Yeah. It's putting a boundary in place to know that you are safer. Yeah. Like for us, Chris comes from, a, you know, a great family, you know, mm. pretty dysfunctional, normal. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've all got a bit of dysfunction. <laughs> Um, and he was always saying to me, I was kind of, you know, we've been together a long time. I was saying, I just want them both out of my life. I don't want to do this anymore. And he'd be saying, yeah, but come on, I'll take, I'll take the strain. Bless him. He was like, I'll, you know, I'll do the day to day stuff. You just tick along in the background and it'll be fine. And I can remember thinking, 
it's not going to be fine. it's definitely not going to be fine and thinking I really really need to stand my ground on this and say I don't want to see them anymore and um I can remember her coming out of hospital and she had head lice and we turned up at the house and and I mean she was riddled with them yeah and it it became very clear that somebody was going to do that level need to do that level of intimate care for her and she didn't want it but obviously she didn't want an infestation of head lice either and I remember Chris saying you're gonna have to help her with her hair and the intimacy of that situation of helping her to wash her hair and put the head lice lotion on and comb through her hair and being in that close proximity to her and doing something that was incredibly caring and I'm sure she felt very vulnerable at that point was probably one of the worst things that he's asked me to, you know, that he has in in, in encouraging me to try and fix that relationship has tried to do. And I remember sitting in the car afterwards and thinking, I am not doing this anymore I can't I cannot put myself in that vulnerable position and care for somebody who has systematically broken me down yeah I won't I I can't do it and said to him look I'm just not doing it anymore and then there comes the point where you like you've decided that you're going to estrange from somebody and you decided that you don't want to go in to be in their lives anymore do you tell them Mm. because I didn't I just withdrew and started stopped answering the phone like one layer of barrier and then you just build them up and up and up and like morally it doesn't entirely sit comfortably with me ghosting somebody yeah yeah is a bit of a it's a tough one to square in your head Mm. that you're just going to do it without saying anything and I did it I didn't say anything I just with totally withdrew because I just could not do anymore did you did you tell her yeah I did because I had to because she was living with us at the time but do you not feel like you've told her enough do you not feel like you've said enough you've begged enough times for things to change you've asked you've said please please I can't cope with this relationship being like this behave differently around me think about how you're speaking to me I'm not a dog and you've said enough I'd let go of it not sitting right with you that you've ghosted because you've said enough yeah you've said it so yeah. many times in so many different ways and it's just never been heard yeah and I mean we I got can... to the point where I wasn't taking the kids to to be in her company yeah because I just thought this is this is not right yeah and um, you try to do your best by somebody and what has been totally wonderful is and it sounds a bit weird but like other people going or so my dad worked in the NHS. He was, and my estrangement from him is an entirely different story. But I remember my dad was working in some of the mental hospitals in Leeds. You know, there's some pretty, pretty full on places. Yeah. And um, one of his friends would go and visit him. And um, I remember him ringing me and, and I was, I was saying to him, look, I'm not in touch with mum anymore. He said, well, we've got this saying in the NHS, they're either mad or they're bad. And I think you've just got a bad one there, Helen. You just need to not not be in touch with her anymore wow. and I was like you have been part of my life for my life mm. and you're saying that to me now yeah like like where was this before <laughs> yeah where was this before yeah. and and people saying yeah but 
or people not knowing about her drinking or getting into like her, my cousin, I needed to get in touch with him and ended up being in touch with his mum. So my mum's brother's wife, listening to her talk about that seeing the relationship from the other side. So seeing me and remembering me at 10 and 11 years old, deciding what pudding I would like in the restaurant and for my mum to say, oh, you're not having it. That relationship has just been restorative because it was somebody who was there and somebody who knows and somebody who can go, oh my God, yes, I didn't know about that, but yes, that makes sense. And do you remember when this and this happened? And piecing it together just gives you that reassurance that you're not entirely bonkers. Yeah. That you didn't make it all up in your head. You do think you've made it all up. You really do. I I mean, I I haven't got anyone who can kind of sit there and say, do you remember this experience or that experience it it really was just me and my mum um and any of her family I wasn't close to anyway I didn't really know and they I'm sure would take her side they they don't know me they wouldn't know me if they walked past me in the street and my dad's side was not there either um my dad's sort of wife can attest to what a toxic person my mum was but she was equally toxic so but for me um my mother-in-law was the person that came out with some really interesting things that I had no idea about that like my mum at my baby shower had said to her you're not welcome here and they could see the way in which my mum spoke to me the way in which she impacted mine and Adam's relationship the way in which she impacted me as a person and how different and happy I seemed to be when I was not around her. And it that's been really interesting hearing her saying those things and hearing her point of view on that. But it is, like you say, restorative when, and I've spoken to people who've had similar experiences where someone's come out and said to them, yeah, we could see this, but we couldn't really say anything. Yeah. Um, it is restorative because it it yeah. makes you realize like the amount of times I've said to my therapist, well, what if I've made it worse in my head? Because that's what my mum would say to me. Mm. You, you've made that worse or you've made that up in your head. And that's mm. gaslighting. We know that. But you self-gaslight because that's what you've been brought up. Yeah. Believing is the norm is to be gaslighted. Yeah. So you, you self-gaslight and you sit there going, well, what if I've made all this up and actually this poor woman's been cut off from me and from her grandkids and it's all in my head. It's not all in your head. And you know, on a logical level that it's not, you know, on a logical level that it's absolutely happened, that it was legitimate, but you don't fully trust yourself. And I think you lose that ability to trust your instincts and to trust Mm. your, your gut when you've been raised in that toxic environment. And like on uh, like a tiny level, I was in um, I was in Morrison's, and um, both kids with me. You know, my kids are, at the time were probably three and four. We've got a small age gap between them. Yeah. And you know what it's like when you're in a supermarket with a three year old and a four year old. Like one of them's <laughs> bouncing around, somebody's licking the yogurts. Yeah. And, you know, it was all a bit <laughs> flying by the seat of your pants. And um, it was in my hometown. I walked around the corner, and there was my year three teacher so the teacher that I'd had when I was seven and eight and I was like oh hi and she was like hello Helen how are you like I'm I'm okay thanks these are my kids and she was like just remind me like what year you were at school and what when did I teach you and you know like it's a small town how old were my children when I was teaching you and I kind of filled in scraps and she went oh yeah you're the one whose mum and I was like what 
Yeah. And she just didn't finish it. And I was just thinking, no. oh, tell me. Yeah. Tell me what that was. Is there a way of finding that out? Mm. Is it worth it? No. Like, yes. <laughs> my perspective as a teacher, you log anything like that. Do you know what I mean? If I, I'd, I'd be writing it down somewhere, but in 1980 seven was anybody writing it down or do I just need to wait until I bump into her in the supermarket again and then I just got distracted by the kids and it was just mm. like lovely see you bye yeah. um but those people that must have been witnesses to what was going on must have known something and my relationship with the with the school with my school and was bizarrely strong in that like it was a school where everybody went on a residential pretty much from like year two onwards like every every year there was a residential and I used to come home and I'd be sitting on the bus sobbing because I didn't yeah. want to go home mm. did not want to go home not because I'd had a lovely time because I didn't want to go home yeah. I didn't want to go back into that environment yeah see funnily um, for me it was the opposite I had about a year at a school that I'd I'd I couldn't cope with the change. My primary school had shut down and I went to this school um, that was just a small, my mum was quite keen to keep me in private schools, even though she couldn't afford it, which she would then later blame me for. Like Mm. it was my decision that she decided to try and keep up with the Joneses because when my mum and dad were together, my dad was quite wealthy Mm. and she very much would point out how he hoarded his wealth, how he didn't pay for my school bills and stuff. And you know, I, I really struggled when my little uh, primary school shut down and I had about a year before I could go to this big school that she'd bigged up so much. And actually, I ended up leaving in year eight because she couldn't keep paying the bills and my dad had refused. But I this particular little school, I cried every day on the bus oh. in because I didn't want to go and no one could work out why. And then I remember her taking me to a therapist. She was very anti-therapist and she insisted on sitting in the room. And I can't I, I think I've blocked out what actually happened. I remember him giving me the things that I have now learned are tools to handle CPTSD where you will take yourself to a calming place and they're they're tools to help a lot of things but I'm drawing the connection between them because I think he could see Mm. that there was this complete enmeshment between me and my mum and I think part of why I cried every day when I was asked to go at like a nine-year-old girl was because I was terrified that I wouldn't come home to anyone and I was terrified that if I was out of my mum's sight I didn't know what I didn't know who who to be what to do how to behave I just didn't know I couldn't sleep over at friends houses because what if she did what my dad had done and left I think and I think those were the fears of a little girl I've still never really got down to the bottom of it because Mm. I've just sort of put it in a box and left it alone but it Mm. was quite the opposite in what you say of crying because you were frightened to go home I was almost frightened to leave because what there's nothing there for me when I got back yeah and almost frightened to be away from her because of that enmeshment because of that lack of identity in myself Mm -hmm. knowing who I was or how I should be and a complete inability to deal with change you know they talk about children being quite adaptive but when I was in that eight nine period I wasn't adaptive at all and I I am not changing anything yeah it's really difficult and I've (laughs) I've got better but like even through my work, I've dragged my heels on TikTok while everybody else was getting into TikTok. 
and being like, I'm going to set up a TikTok account and I'm going to, I'm going to do TikTok. I was like, it won't last. I'm not getting involved in it. Yeah. I mean, I went to test drive a car the other day and my driving license was five years out of date. Really? Because the thought of getting into trouble stopped me from making it better. That's pretty, that's a big thing. Yeah. That avoidance. Yeah. Avoiding things because of fear Mm. is just paralyzing it totally paralyzes you especially when you've gotten you haven't got the same toolkit as everybody else to be able to soothe yourself and make yourself feel better yeah um because you just haven't been equipped with it yeah that's it isn't it you haven't been equipped with the toolkit that everyone else was Mm. and when are you talking about emotional abuse people don't get that it's so fundamental what Mm. we have in our younger years it's so fundamental to mm-hmm. how we will respond to things as an adult, how we will navigate adult life. Yeah. That our needs are not being fulfilled when there's something that's missing, there's something that's lacking. Mm-hmm. You don't get that toolkit. It's like being given a box and being told to go and put some screws in with no screwdriver. Yeah. And it, that sounds such a silly analogy, but it's so true. It's because so true. You are missing those fundamental parts of what teach you how to be an yeah. adult in this society. And, and it's the biggest contraceptive ever. Just think. I can't possibly have kids because I'll end up doing the same as what they did. Yeah. You see, for me, I almost (laughs) kind of rushed into wanting to have kids Mm -hmm. and wanting to get married. I was that desperate. And I think I remember actually, I've got to not thought about this for years. This is something to bring up in therapy, probably not on a podcast, but I'm going to share it with you all anyway. (laughs) I remember turning to my mum. And if you'd have asked me six years ago, 10 years ago, I'd have said my mum was my best friend. We were that kind of intertwined with each other and she wasn't at all. She was a covert narcissist. She was destroying my life. Yeah. If you'd have asked me, I was that blindsided. And I remember turning to her when I was pregnant with Reuben and saying, I just can't wait till he's here because I just want something to love that loves me. I should have bought that off in therapy instead of here. <laughs> I'm going to need to unpack I think that I, one for a I, bit. <laughs> that is you teaching her, isn't it? Yeah. And that was the, that should have been the earliest signs. And it wasn't until he was maybe two, three that I realized, maybe a bit earlier, actually, because I remember being sat on the sofa and I just had him and she kept telling the nurse that I wasn't myself. I wasn't myself. And I just was, give him birth. Like, I was like, I'm, I'm doing it. Like, I'm okay. She's like, no, I think you're really blue to the point where I burst into tears. And the nurse was like, mm, it was there, the health visitor. Mm, maybe you are a bit then. I was bloody fine until she kept going. But yeah. it was almost like she was trying to create that I couldn't cope so that she could yeah. step in and cope yeah. for me. And I was yeah. coping fine. I mean, okay, yeah, a week later I had sepsis, but that's because I was ignoring my needs. Yeah, you were handling it. And I was handling it. You really were. You were handling it. And it was, and that's what's come out of therapy for me is that you handle stuff. Mm. You deal with it. You deal with stuff. And have you had um, EMDR therapy? No, for me, it's been um, person-led therapy. EMDR has absolutely transformed, like, dealing with the trauma. Like you say, said, it's not one, like, if you, if you sat down and said, right, okay, I need to work through each individual episode of trauma, you'd be 
you'd it never would just get through it. <laughs> never get through it because there's so many. And we we did end up doing loads of work on like the bigger feeling of trauma. Is um, EMDR the one that includes tapping? Yeah. Yes. So I have heard of this and I've actually I've tried bits of it myself. But yes, so now I, I do know what you mean. Um, and working on that bigger lack of self-worth, that bigger yeah. kind of issue, if you like, or that bigger trauma that has been left as opposed to each individual little thing. Yeah. And it has made a massive difference, huge, like huge difference in like, feelings of self-worth mm. and the bigger issues, but not necessarily the little triggers. So the silent yeah. treatment or the phone ringing and not knowing who it is, but the big stuff it's been really good for. And just reminding me that you are dealing with it and that you have some skills that are there that you can use to be able to, to deal whatever with whatever life throws at you because it doesn't have to throw you some curveballs. Yeah. But I think it's the lack of security growing up with that lack of security and the lack of secure bonds that has um probably floored me the most just not knowing and feeling at risk and that's what you are with emotional abuse you are at risk you are, you are. and that's that I think that's why it's so damaging because you're at risk but it's a hidden risk we can see a fire mm. but can't see the central heating that's been turned up so high that you're literally baking yeah and I think people don't acknowledge it in the same way and you are at risk and it is really damaging and like you say it's it's now that you are estranged and you're starting to work on that and you're starting to heal from that it doesn't necessarily protect you from the little triggers no but it gives you a, a greater sense of self I guess because that's, yeah. that's what's stripped from you is that sense yeah. of self definitely not knowing who on earth you are because you know how to behave when you're around your parents you know what you can do and you know what will rub them up the wrong way mm. take those out of the equation and you're a little bit lost and I have felt like that estranging from them is feeling like a bit lost like yeah. is it okay to be compassionate is it okay to care and to take the little bits of joy out of tiny little things is that okay nobody's going to tell me now that it's not so yeah. it's hard it. isn't it because like you say it's once you have estranged and once you've gone through that process which is incredibly traumatic in itself yeah it's like okay well now I get to decide what I like yeah. Now I get to do these things and I'm looking to me and this is something I've had to work really hard on in therapy. I'm looking to me as the adult and that mm. sounds so ridiculous to say as a 34 year old woman, but mm. almost like before I would be not st not stopped from being the adult, but that I would have my adult decisions or questions or, or thought processes or ideas or wants or goals questioned by somebody who I saw as knowing better than me yeah it has people in authority I think is another one that you just think oh god yeah, yeah I don't that that is why I'm self-employed yeah <laughs> because I'm not a fan of authority yeah. I can push back against it and then sit with myself afterwards and be like Oh, why, Harriet? <laughs> I don't make any sense whatsoever. Why did you not like authority? What on earth is wrong with you? Um, yeah. But I can. I can find that quite difficult. And I think, like you say, it's all of a sudden you're the one that's having to think about these things. You're the one that's making decisions. You're pleasing yourself as well. And I think that in itself yeah. is a weird concept. Yeah. Because you're like, well, I want to go for a bath. And I'm not having to think about, will the phone ring? 
for this or will I need this or will that be questioned hot water for everybody else if I go and have a bath if I think about me then is it going to be okay for everybody else yeah and explaining that to um and like just parenting I mean of course parenting is going to be very very triggering we'll stop (laughs) yeah when you've been parented in the way that we have it's going to be extra triggering and explaining those kind of things to your kids is just like my kids are pretty good in knowing that my mum isn't very nice to be around so therefore we're not yeah I'm proud of that yeah I think you should be and I mean the, the same for me it's been a little bit more I'm not sure how old are your kids now they are five and six okay so mine are a little bit older um, and Reuben in particular, he's had some really negative experiences where she seems to have honed in on him. And I think she recognizes a lot of me in him mm-hmm. as a child, how I was, how I was easy to manipulate and mm-hmm. has tried that with him. But myself and Adam have very much been there to advocate for him and to say, Mm-mm, that's not going to happen. That's not yeah. going to fly. We're not allowing that. Mm-hmm. But he is he's quite good at communicating how he feels around the topic of being estranged from her because Mm -hmm. they had a really close relationship or again it mirrored my relationship with her in a way that it seemed really close but actually after we cut ties with her a lot of things came out where she would sit him down and say you know I don't think daddy's the right person for mummy or you mustn't tell mummy and daddy about this because they'll be angry with me and they'll be nasty all of these things that I mean Jesus Christ you just would not say to a child let alone someone else's child telling him to lie about things encouraging him to watch things that were more grown up whilst he or be on his iPad while she was watching things that were grown up and then just sort of say oh well he's in my space he's just got to he's not watching it anyway and just all these little things but after we did a strange she turned up at the school oh my god yeah so she turned up at the school and in a way I was so proud of him in another way it kind of broke my heart a bit it was his final year at school and she had arranged with someone that she'd befriended in the village to Mm. tell him there's a surprise for you down at the bottom of the hill and she was waiting down there and Reuben had run down spotted her and she was trying to beckon him across the road and I think he said he wouldn't go over the road sort of made an excuse of I'm not allowed to cross the road or maybe he did I can't quite remember now maybe he did go over the road to her and he'd spoke to her and she'd said you know I'll be here tomorrow as well we'll have secret meetings which in and of itself is insane and Reuben was able enough at the age of sort of 10 to spot his siblings who would have been eight nine and six seven and run across the road and say to them do not stay on this side of the road get over the road and he was aware enough that what she was doing was wrong so when we pulled up to pick him up I think his dad would have been at the top of the hill and drove down the hill to pick him up uh, she'd already driven off so it was really t- I mean it was timed to perfection oh, which itself is weird and and yeah. wildly inappropriate he jumped in the car and having been told expressly not to say anything the first thing he said to his dad was Momo was here but Momo had been at the bottom of the road and he immediately let his dad know obviously then we spoke to police uh, we spoke to school to let school know which then meant that the kids had their privilege of being able to come out of school and walk down the hill revoked oh. And the next day she was there again. She'd, she oh. didn't think it was a problem. 
And I drove through and sat at the bottom of the hill and she called over other people's children that she knows are friends of the kids to ask them where the kids were. Eyeballed me like I was the one in the wrong and then drove off. And then a week later, we got a solicitor's letter to say that she was planning on applying to be, to have access, which is a whole other podcast episode. Yeah, she's, she's turned up a couple of times where she's she's been um, accidentally driving past is how she would phrase it. And sort of pulled over to the side of the road again to target Reuben. I think if she tried to speak to Toby, Toby would just ignore her and walk away. Edith would be upset and do the same. But Reuben in particular, he was so upset that time that she turned up at school the first time. And then when she tried to sort of corner him on the way home from secondary school, wouldn't wouldn't walk around for days, wouldn't walk home for days. But it's that. How do you talk to them about it? How do you navigate it with them? Because it's so easy mm-hmm. for children to clam up and not want to say the wrong thing, especially mm-hmm. if they know there will be repercussions for saying the wrong thing, which he was he was so aware of with her. He knew that if he said the wrong thing, she would be nasty to him. He'd said to her, I've got to go when she'd cornered him on the way back from secondary school. And she said she said to him, Oh, right, are you not allowed to speak to me then and he said she was really nasty about it mummy and I'd said oh okay and what did you say he said no I said I've got to go to archery and then she changed really quickly and was much nicer and I thought yeah because she was going to have a go at you yeah. belittle you and make you feel upset and that's yeah. what she was trying to do with that sort of superior oh you're not allowed to speak to me then as if to say mm-hmm. hmm, you can't think for yourself and he's an 11 year old child and yet he was quite quick to come home to discuss it to say I really don't like the way she does that to me or the way that she has like he was he was funnily enough and he, it was for his 10th birthday where he got the card he was absolutely furious that he got one and his siblings hadn't livid because he recognized way more switched on than I ever was how cruel that was how manipulative that is yeah and he recognized and then communicated to us how angry he was Mm -hmm. about that and he'd asked us, we'd said to him, we at the time we didn't tell him about it. And then the incident at the school had happened. We just threw it in the bin. And then we did say to him, look, we did we did get a card, but we didn't tell you because we didn't want to upset you. And he said, well, I understand that. I'm really cross that she sent one to me, but not to them. That's really unkind. Mm. Next time I want you to tell me, which we do now. If anything mm. ever comes through for them, we tell, we say. Or if there's any kind of contact, we say. We have that open communication. We learned that pretty early on. Yeah. But we have sort of learnt that he needs that if we're to expect it from him yeah um, and for a while she was sending checks to me and I know that that was about looking to see when the check had been paid in or where it had been paid in and I just used to put, put them in the bin Mm. And it's making that decision on behalf of your kids isn't always clear cut. They have no relationship with her mm. now. So and I think because they were littler, it was a little bit easier to explain. If somebody's unkind to you, then you don't tolerate them any longer. And you've got a situation where you were all living together. Yeah. It's massive. It was a it was a really big one for them. And I remember after I asked her to move out, um, she'd said to Edith, Well, will you come and look at houses on 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 the internet with me because mummy's making me leave? <laughs> I oh. mean, how manipulative and toxic is that? And at the time I I didn't want to cut contact entirely. I was hoping mm. that she would move out and that we would have a low contact at distance yeah. relationship. And yeah. she just she made that impossible. It was either we do things my way and I retain yeah. control over. Yeah. You, or yeah. we don't and I yeah. think being able to explain to the children 
that we are healthier without mm. her in our lives mm. because of the way she treated me and the way she behaved towards me, mm. towards Adam and towards them is absolutely acceptable because yeah. it doesn't matter who she is in relation to us. Yeah. It's a case of we don't have to tolerate yeah. any kind of behavior that's mentally, physically, whatever, damaging to us mm. in order to appease somebody else. Yeah, or in order to do what people think is right. It's a big one, isn't it? It is huge. It is huge. And I'm in the in an estrangement group on Facebook, which is run by Sally Hughes, you know, the yes. beauty yeah. um, journalist. And I kind of read through the posts and I see the majority of the people are like low contact, then no contact, mm. because low contact isn't something that that particular kind of person can manage. A narcissist yeah. can't manage low contact. Yeah, it's it, relinquishing it's the control, isn't it? It's yeah. a case of I'd rather have no relationship with you if I can't control you. Yeah. And that's stopping contact. I can't remember how, but basically I knew that I'd stopped contact. I knew that mum had written me out of her will. And that was the point where I thought, well, there we go. It was all conditional. I was only ever going to have money given to me if I behaved in a certain way. And once you don't behave in that way, that gets removed. But what yeah. she doesn't realise is that I actually don't care. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because it, it's it's used almost, and I hear this all, you will be taken out of the will. And it's amazing. Okay. How, yeah, exactly. It's amazing how many people I speak to who've had that held over them. And especially in the economy that we live in now, let's be blunt, we are back to times when the majority need some kind of help from a parent in order to yeah. get on the property ladder, in order to yeah. create, it's a generational yeah. thing. Um, we are back in those times when there are so many people who are relying on that coming at some mm. point to help them through their older years and then relying on what they've got to go to their... Ch- it's not to me, it, it's mad that that's used as a threat, full stop. Yeah. And yet it's even wilder that it's expected that you would put up with abusive behaviour on that basis, like for a cash payout. <laughs> Like, uh, like um, if I let you treat me really badly, will I get yeah. any more? Yeah, I mean, I know you're going to sell the house and stuff, mum, but like, is there like a nest egg? Yeah. Because I'm going to need a higher payment, to be frank. Yeah. It's just wild yeah. that that's... And I've had people say to me before, no, I will contest the will when they die because I feel owed um, that I put up with this, that I was treated this way and that that is my nest egg and I need it for my children. And for me, that's not going to be the case. For me, I'm kind of like, I don't want anything from you. I didn't get anything from my dad when he passed away. Not because I was taken out of his will, I believe. Mm. But that's, again, a whole other story. Um, But I didn't want anything there. And he used my inheritance from my grandparents. Yeah. And I won't get anything from my mum. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm okay with it. Because I I kind of think, for the little checks that were coming through, for birthday, birthday presents or something, when I looked at it, I thought, right, okay, so the kids have been sent 100 quid. What am I going to do with that 100 quid? Um, Am I going to buy something that I'm going to look at and think, she paid for that? Mm. Or am I going to do something with it and we go out for the day and have a lovely day and... I'm going to think she paid for that. Mm. I don't want that. The She paid for that. I don't want that in my life. So therefore, my policy is the checks go in the bin. Yeah. They go in the bin. And if it's cash, I donate it to, there's a charity for families of alcoholics. So I just donate it because I just think I cannot, I don't want to profit from anything that she's got. Yeah. And somebody said something the other day, like they were talking about cards coming and somebody said, don't worry about the card because literally 
everything that you need is outside that card yeah don't worry about the card but it's still there isn't it it's still there it's still there it still stings but I actually really like that don't worry about the card because everything that you need and that you have is outside of that card that card has no power over you and I love that and I think you know there's I don't think there's a right or a wrong way to react to them I think there's a right or a wrong way to deal with the gifts that are sent whether you donate them keep them give them to the kids don't give them to the kids throw the checks in the bin cash the checks I don't think there's any right or wrong way there it's what feels right to you and what is within your comfort level and I think again it goes back to those setting your personal boundaries to knowing yourself and to allowing your sense of self to prevail on that one Mm. will I be looking at it and thinking she bought that will I be looking at Mm. it and thinking okay that money's sat in my kids bank but then that gives her a chance to to come back in a few years and say look at all this money that I gave to you yeah I've set you up or will you not look at it that way and will you just look at it as a thanks my kids yeah. will benefit from that I'm not interested and I don't think there's ever a right or a wrong way to deal with these things but the only thing that is a problem is when you allow it to negatively impact you and you allow it to have a power over you yeah like I I always feel like I want a plan like I want a policy for what happens when certain things happens and I was talking to my therapist about it and she said what is what's the thing that's getting you at the moment it's like could be anything but yeah actually what what am I going to do when somebody rings and says she's dead yes what are you going to do and I was like okay so first thing I will do is I will ring my husband and I'll say she's dead she was like and then what I said I I don't know because I don't want to do a funeral I don't want any part in this and I knew that by saying those those words that somebody else would be thinking somebody else with a standard relationship with their mum would be thinking oh my god you don't want to do a funeral and I was like no I was listening to the ra- listening to Radio 4 the other day and there's a thing called straight to cremation and you can just do cremate them mm. you don't have to have a funeral you don't have to go to the crematorium none of it actually has to happen oh, right. and once I'd got that in my head that that was what I was going to do I felt t- much better about it and just knowing that those normal social conventions of family relations you don't have to do what everybody expects you to do you can make that choice now whereas in the past if I was still in touch with her I would have jumped through the hoops and I would have done what everybody expected but not what's right for you yeah that's it yeah I didn't actually know about that and I guess I should be my mum's next of kin but I would presume she will have taken me off and put her sister on so um, but I don't how do you do that I have no idea no idea um I don't know if it's just when you fill out the forms uh, I know my mum attended hospital quite a lot for problems with arthritis and that kind of thing so it could just be that when she's filled out the forms and she used to work in the NHS so it's quite possible that she would know her way around changing forms right. uh, but I've never had contact she might well have left me on there I suspect there is an element of spite in leaving someone on there when you know they don't yeah. want to be on there I would be her next of kin if we were going off the standard yeah I, I don't have a plan for what happens when someone will tell me I get a lot of people will say to me especially when when I get DMs telling me I'm, I'm evil um, <laughs> that you know I'll regret it when she dies and I won't I'd imagine and again I'm speculating because she hasn't yet but I'd imagine that it'll be a mixed bag of feelings but one of those oh, feelings yeah. will be relief yeah and I, and I said I will definitely take some time off work 
because I want to mm-hmm. allow those feelings to work through. Yes. Just knowing like what my plan is made a difference because initially I was just like, well, we'll just get on the plane and we'll go to Disney. Yeah, <laughs> I like that idea, actually. Do you know what? Um, I'm, I'm going to go with your original idea. To be honest, <laughs> get on a plane. is that not, um, you know, not to therapize you, but is that is that not running away a little bit? <laughs> oh is it I mean you can't run away from something that can't get you anymore Disney sounds like a cracking shout to be honest but I didn't know that you could just do a straight to cremation and not have anything to do with it so that's gonna be really useful for listeners isn't it gruesome though Mm, it is but you know I'll bet I've spoken to people before whose family long lost family member that they have never had any contact with they've been contacted as technically the next of kin (gasps) and asked do you want to do anything because they've died and they're like I don't even know that person I've never even met them why would I want to pay for I would what I want to yeah the only on thing that I do know and that I think I would do for her I know she wanted to be either interred or buried with her children and I would try and make sure that happened for her I think probably shouldn't yeah. I should probably just say if if it came down to me sod it I'm not getting involved in that uh just cremate her and get rid but I think from my point of view I would try to do that for her because I think that damaged her quite significantly. And yeah. I would either pass that on to someone else to do, yeah, but make them aware that that was her wish. That was what she wanted. Yeah, I think I would because losing a child and losing all three of them, I would yeah. want, I think just as a that was what you asked well it's the right thing to do isn't it yeah isn't it just probably quite an emotional toll I've never like I say I've not really given it too much thought and I probably should because she's quite a bit older and she's never been particularly well so probably should have a plan make a plan make a plan I mean mine started with um having um when I thought I had to do a funeral was to have um I forgot that you existed by Taylor Swift (laughs) (laughs) do you know anybody listening to this who is hearing it and thinking, oh my God, that's so callous. I'm telling you now, it's not. It's not. It's it- not because the level of the level of ill treatment, the level of, call it what it is, abuse, because I, I really struggle to acknowledge it as abuse as well. Even yeah. my own sort of, my own stigmatized view of behaviors, I still struggle to think that was abusive. Yet if you ask me and you say that my therapist will often say, okay, well, what if that was your child? I'm like, no, that's abusive. But because it was me, I'm like, oh. But if you listen to this and you're thinking, oh my God, this is so callous. Like, how could you even think about things in this way? Trust me, when you have been through that experience, you can. can And you need the humour as well. There is, you need the gallows humour to be able to get through it. Otherwise, it just becomes even more too yeah. much. And like I've done enough safeguarding training over the years to know categorically it's emotional abuse mm. and neglect. And there's no two there's no two ways about it because like you know when this when people say, Yeah, but they didn't hit you. Well Yeah, they didn't yeah, they also didn't, didn't do very much else either. And it's it is, it's like you say, it's that gallows humour. There is nothing like somebody who has lived childhood trauma to have a really wicked sense of humour. You know, it's true. It's true. And that if you are listening to it and you are thinking, Oh, I feel like I should feel bad, but that's exactly what I've said in the privacy of my own home, I won't dare say it on a podcast, but that's what I've said. I've sort of made joke or been flippant. Please know there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing there's wrong absolutely with nothing dark wrong with humor. And those people are our people. Yeah, they you are my people. There is yeah. nothing wrong with acknowledging 
and poking fun at your own experience in order to be able to cope with it and rationalize yeah. it because that's what yeah. you're doing it's really common for for um people who work in emergency services as well uh they yeah. say that that is largely down to being able to deal with trauma is because if you can disassociate from it and joke about it mm. it um makes it easier to deal with yeah so it's it's not an uncommon thing to have that dark humor and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you no. if you do it doesn't mean that your empathy compass is broken because you've got oodles no. of empathy for people who deserve it yeah there's quite a lot of dark jokes in our house yeah there are in ours as well <laughs> i cannot thank you enough oh you're very welcome thank you for chatting to me and sharing your experience and letting mm. people know that they aren't alone obviously the alcoholism side of things is not something that I can offer but I feel that it will be incredibly relatable to yeah, so yeah. many people who have lived that experience even if it's not the alcoholism if it's if it's a different kind of addiction or if it's a different mm. kind of medical need where that's mm. been put upon you and yet you're expected to kind of almost adds another layer of you yeah, you know she's ill so you've got uh, yeah. someone looking after them and that makes it incredibly difficult yeah I mean it was quite reassuring when she was still terrible when she was sober I can imagine it was because then you'd know that it's not just the yeah. addiction it's not just the medical need mm. this is her as a person and it's amplified by those things mm. and I you know estrangement is a really tough subject but it is absolutely fascinating it is it is and I, I hear a lot now about people talking about estrangement being on the rise and I think in one way <laughs> it is because we are becoming more aware of mental abuse we're becoming more aware of the damage of the mother wound the father wound the way that yeah. in which our childhood can impact us but equally I don't think it's necessarily just because it's becoming somebody referred to it as an estrangement craze the other week and I don't necessarily think that it is becoming <laughs> that much more common I think it's increasing in how often we're seeing it happen but it's not just that it's because people are being more open about it and yeah. that's what really counts yeah. is there is healing within community there really yeah. is yeah and connections and people didn't talk about miscarriage five years ago yeah things change and things change for the better I don't think it'll stop narcissism no I don't think it'll stop people making poor choices and talking about it gives people the opportunity to make a change that they can have control of and work a way through it and have a plan and you know think it through if nobody talks about it then nobody gets any better yeah. it's got to be talked about and talked through and there's so many parts of it how it related to work how it related to like self-esteem the body image it's just it, it goes on and on and on and you're terrified that you're going to do part of it to somebody yeah but the fact that you're aware of it must mean that you're not going to it's trusting in yourself to be aware enough of your behavior and to be accountable for the times that you do make mistakes because mm. we all do yeah want to make mistakes yeah. but to be able to say okay actually I didn't like how that made me feel or how I made someone else feel yeah. so I'm going to address that and work on that mm. and that's what counts I, I was over the moon to see that you were going to do the podcast really really just like yes this could be really really good and I think it will be people need something to go to do you know what I mean where they yeah. feel like they've they've got an audience there that they they know are going through something that is similar yeah and everything that I'd, I'd researched and looked for 
was for the parent of the adult child that had cut off. Mm-hmm. And I'd said to Adam, I don't, I'm not taking away from the, the fact that that community is useful yes. for those people. I think that everybody mm-hmm. deserves community. Everybody deserves to have a place where they can speak to other people, even if I don't agree with them, even if um, it's not my, my bag. But why was there nothing out there for the adult child that's gone? This is enough. And it's because yeah. it's so shrouded in shame and because you're so judgy. Yeah. And I wanted to try and lift some of that. So hopefully yeah. that is what we are doing. Yeah, I hope so. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Honestly, it's been really enlightening talking to you. And just like I said, that there is that healing in community. Mm-hmm. There is that power in knowledge, in knowing that you're not the only one that's gone through it, in knowing that no matter what the variations of the stories might be and what the different experiences might be, this is how somebody's come to terms with their experience. This is what they have dealt with. You're not alone in it. And there is kind yeah. of that happy, fulfilling life that you lead that hasn't got them in it and that's okay that's the big thing isn't it it's that it's I hear quite a lot of oh well if you really forgave them you know that would help forgiveness is for you you can forgive someone and not have them in your life and you can choose not to forgive them and move on you don't also anyone that I don't think there's any relief in estrangement no like I think people oh you you must be so relieved now no I don't feel relieved nothing feels lighter now um you're just able to process that trauma safer you can process that trauma at your own pace without having more added to it and having it compounded all the time and that is the important thing and I get uh, you know this podcast is set up for people who are cycle breakers so it's not we're not kind of trying to encourage anyone to become estranged if that's not the path that works for yeah. them. But if you are estranged, if you have made the decision to go no contact as opposed to low contact or as opposed to just trying to navigate the, the dysfunction yeah. in the relationship, perhaps you'll have a parent who is trying to work on themselves and is being accountable for their hand in the damage of the relationship again that's absolutely fine it's never going to be a one-size-fits-all but if you are in that position of estrangement it's knowing that what you have chosen to do for yourself and for your family and your future isn't wrong that thank you so much for coming on guys if you do want to find helene then you can find her at merriman on instagram i'm super grateful to you for chatting to me and we will speak to you again next week guys yeah bye Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.